All right. So we've been uh, we're wrapping up tonight the third chapter finally, and uh, I chose to pull up because I just didn't want to rush it. And uh, one thing we do on Sunday nights take our time. So this is uh, as you can see by the title, we've been talking about the glory of godliness, and we're in the last two verses of chapter three of First Timothy. Very familiar passage to uh, many of us. And it deals with the character qualities of a man of God and their wife in regard to the office of the bishops and the deacons. And so we've covered all of that, and it gets us down to the last uh, you know, few verses here as we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, let's look at verses 14 and 16 again, and we'll finish up tonight in this text. It says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But it, if I tarry long, that thou mayest... Know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, which you've been hearing me mention quite a bit on Sunday morning. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Uh, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, and believed on in the world, received up into glory. And so this closes the loop to uh, chapter 2 and verse 5. If you just look back over there, uh, Paul there uh, is, is starts off talking about and exhorting us that we should be in prayer, right? First of all, he says in verse 1, all prayer... Or all supplication. Well, let me read it. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications and prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. And then he says this in verse two: in all godliness and honesty. Right, in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. And then he says this: for there is one God. And one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So he says a lot there uh, when he says that, that there's one God, one mediator, mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And of course, we also know the Bible teaches us that Jesus is God. Right? So uh, this gets into the triune nature of God. And the, what's talked about over here in chapter 3 is uh, called the mystery of godliness, dealing with the fact that Jesus is, is God in the flesh. He was God manifest in the flesh. Uh, as it says in verse 16. So uh, he's our intercessor. He is also God manifest in the flesh. Uh, And of course, um, he is, uh, when it comes to the epitome of the example of godliness, well, God manifest in the flesh is the the example that we all follow, which is why it really punctuates chapter 3. So we saw already the glory of godliness is reflected in the characteristics of the offices, the office of the of the bishop in 1 Timothy 3.1, the character of the officers in verses 2-13, through 13, uh, the character of the congregation as well, as we saw that in uh, these last verses. And so we've covered, um, you know, a lot of that. I'm not going to go back over all of that. And where we left off last time is is C C C Ryder. Oh no, that's a uh, Elvis. Okay, so uh, I don't know if I should say those things or not. Um, tells you where where I come from. Oh, James, don't do that. Don't do that to me. So that leads us to point C. Certain, certain of Christ, uh, we're to be certain of Christ's incarnation, resurrection, and glorification. I know you've been waiting for weeks to hear that. So since we've been on hold, uh, and that's in the context again of the of the the bigger uh, point uh, dealing with um, 
you know, what is it that, that we're doing here? We're reflecting on the character of the congregation. The congregation, congregation be, should be fervent in our anticipation for the Lord. Uh, we should be making connections, you know, and, and being ready when He comes. We should be faithful in the operation. A fervent in, in, uh, anticipation should produce a faithful operation. And uh, we need to know how to behave ourselves in the house of the Lord. And I spent quite a bit of time talking about that, which now leads us to uh, this point in which we are today, which is uh, we should have certainty about Christ's incarnation, resurrection, and glorification. Uh, Certainty, right? We should be certain of these words of truth. So um, many are familiar with the seven mysteries and uh, how we're to be stewards of those mysteries. Uh, now, the, here we're going to see seven attributes concerning the mystery of godliness. So I'm going to, if you've got your notes out here, we're going to work through these tonight and we'll be done. There's seven attributes to the mystery of godliness. So we should be, um, you know, when we get done with this, we should be uh, locked and loaded on, on um, you know, being certain of Christ's incarnation. That's, that's a big word. Resurrection. We know what that means. And glorification. Before I go any further, what does incarnation mean? Everyone but Jeff. Does anybody and Ron? So it leaves three of you. Yeah, God manifests in the flesh, right? So uh, that's God in, with skin on, right? So that's what we're talking about when we say certain of His incarnation. Uh, which it's good to be certain of His incarnation. Uh, I, I, I will let me say something positive about uh, Andy Stanley since I said something negative several weeks ago. At least the one good thing I can say about him is he does believe in Jesus incarnate. Um, and so the incarnation of Christ is very important. Um, the resurrection and his glorification is as well. And you won't know any of those without the word of God, by the way. Okay, so point one. Without, what do you think the word is? Controversy, right? Without controversy, just right out of the, really creative. I took it right out of verse 16. And without controversy, uh, uh, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, right? So... And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So Paul is making a point that impacts our presentation of the glorious gospel to kings and to all that are in authority. This is a great mystery and one that we all uh, taste as we represent the visible body of Christ in his absence, right? So like Philippians chapter 2, we're just in the next steps meeting today, and I was talking about Philippians chapter 2 being that the vision that God has given us for a church here and how in his absence, not just Paul's absence, but in the physical absence of the Lord, the church is left with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, right? And we want to be faithful until he comes. And so, uh, you know, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So this is, it doesn't mean that it's uh, greatly mysterious. It is great in its magnification. It's a very important. If Jesus hasn't come in the flesh, then we're in trouble. Uh, and it's important. So point two is God was manifest in the flesh. Uh, and so uh, there's no question, there's no discussion without controversy. This is an incredible uh, mystery. And by the way, this is uh, one of those things that is a mystery, one of the seven mysteries. Uh, so great is this mystery. It's a very important one. God manifests in the flesh. It doesn't say Christ manifests in the flesh, by the way. It's not Messiah manifests in the flesh. Of course, Messiah uh, is manifest in the flesh. That's no doubt. But <clears throat> what what is mysterious or great about that, right, that the Messiah was here? Only the Gnostic of the second century and contemporary scholarship could miss that. So in your Bible, it doesn't it, it doesn't read uh, if your Bible doesn't read. I'm sorry, God 
you might want to get a reliable Bible because some of them don't actually say God manifests in the flesh. It'll say Christ was manifest in the flesh. And so this is a, uh, this is a great mystery. So God was manifest in flesh. Not just Christ, although Jesus Christ is God, but it's important here. God is manifest in the flesh. This shouldn't be controversial. It's God, and I'm pointing that out. So every modern translation uh, taken from Westcott and Hort's Greek manuscripts perverts this to something less than God. That's why I bring it up. So Jesus is all God and all man. And so that's ultimately what God is teaching us here. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. You just can't miss it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, and verse 4, uh, I'm going to turn over there because it's not in my notes. The Bible says, um, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, should, uh, of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So there's a reason why the devil wants to erode at this mystery, right? Um, because he wants, he doesn't want people to really grapple with the reality that God has become flesh. And the God of this world is blinding the eyes of them. Uh, because once you realize that God became flesh, you realize his love. And love and charity always wins. And so it's the love of God. The goodness of God leads us to repentance and salvation. Okay, so in our Bible, um, uh, we need to understand this. Now, Jesus is all God and all man. So turn over to Colossians, which is in your notes there. Colossians, I think I give you the verse in your notes. Colossians 1.15, so you don't have to turn there. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God? There's no way around that. We're talking about Jesus. He's the subject. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created, here it comes, by him and for him. So when it says, in the beginning, who created the heaven and the earth? God. Could we say then that Jesus created the heaven and the earth? Yes, we could. Because he spoke these things uh, into existence. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So so it is exactly the way it is. Jesus is the image of God, which is what we just saw in 2 Corinthians verse 4. One of the concerns that Satan has is that people would actually get the reality that God is manifest in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the last thing Satan wants people to get a hold of. Um, And so he is the image of God. Jesus Christ is the image of God. So Jesus told Philip in John 14, 9, that if he saw him, he saw the Father. Like, if you see me, you saw the Father. What? What? Yeah. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip. And so by him were all things created. So in short, when Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, well, Jesus created the heaven and the earth because he is God manifest in the flesh when he was born of Mary. But he was there in the beginning. He's a, he is a, he's God. So all things visible and invisible were created by him and for him. So by him all things consist. So the, it's uh, without him, we could do nothing, right? There is nothing without him. So we're not talking about an aspect of the Godhead. Paul is saying straight up, Jesus Christ is God. And that's why he introduced Jesus as God, our Savior. And go look at First Timothy 
uh, chapter 1, not 2 Timothy, but in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, um, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Right? So Jesus Christ is God. And that's why Jesus is our Savior, God our Savior. So Jesus spoke so clearly that he was God that the Jews wanted to kill him because he was very clear. Uh, He was not mincing words. And they didn't believe that he was God, but he was clear that he was God. So I think I put this in your notes. John 5, 18 says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, dot, 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 making himself equal with God. So I'm not the one saying this. Jesus himself said this and was so clear that the Pharisees were ready to kill him because he said that he was uh, that he that uh, God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So and and that's what John 5:18 teaches. Because John, the epistle, the whole thing is about manifesting Jesus Christ as God to start with. That's what the whole premise of John is. Okay, so in, in John 10.30, uh, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And the Jews responding said in John 10.33, The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but blasphemy, and because thou being a man makest thyself God. So based on the record, uh, John 10.33 the Jews were very clear about what Jesus was saying. They understood what he was saying. That he, this guy, is, he's, he's talking with this authority as if he was God. Yes. Bingo. <laughs> you got it. And so it's recorded for us. So how the Jehovah Witnesses across the highway miss all this, I don't know. But it's right here in the Bible. And so... Now, I will say this. If you minister to a Jehovah Witness, this is a major, major doctrinal uh, departure. We, you won't come together with them. Just preach the gospel, and in due time, God will manifest it. And the book of John takes care of it if they read it outside of the uh, the uh, New World Translation. Um, and so, the only there's only three mentions, by the way, of the house of God in the Gospels. The first one is in Matthew. I don't know if I put this in your notes. Matthew twelve four. The second one is Mark two twenty six. And the third is Luke 6.4. Did I put those in there? Okay. So that's Matthew 12.4, Mark 2.26, and Luke 6.4. That's the only three mentions of the phrase, house of God. And so um, and so, all those reference, uh, uh, and they all reference this passage in John 5.18, uh, which is interesting. When Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and he says they sought to kill him, not only because he had broken the Sabbath, but that he was a father making himself equal with God. If there is one thing the household of faith must understand, is that is, it's this, that the body of believers, uh, not the building, is the house of God Almighty. And so um, he is... Uh, this is the the house. This house is the house, the dwelling place of God. We should behave ourselves as such, uh, because a lost and dying world will not meet God in this dispensation without our inner interaction. Right. So um, we are the we are the house. And I'm referring, by the way, to verse 15 um, in in 3:15. But if I tarry long, that thou know, mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. And so these are the uh, the house of God is is us. We are the house of God, and so we should behave ourselves in such a way that the lost and dying world will not uh, meet uh, will not meet God in this dispensation without our interaction. 
So even though Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, right now he's using the church to manifest who he is to this dark and dying world. Does that make sense to you guys? So if we don't understand that Jesus is God, we're not going to do anything to reconcile people to him. And I know this is the Amen Choir Sunday night. You guys get that. So point three. Another thing we need to understand about the mystery of godliness is that Jesus uh, is justified in the Spirit. Now let's unpack that a little bit. What's that talking about? His Spirit was the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, he did not only come in the flesh, but He rose from the dead after preaching to the captives in hell uh, for three days. Uh, and then He ascended, after three days I should say rather, um, And he ascended to the Father to present himself to the Father. Uh, Jesus was not just Messiah in the flesh. He was God in the flesh. So I put in your notes there, Romans 1, 4. He says, and and he's declared, right? And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. So even though he was all God, he also really died. He didn't just swoon. He didn't almost die. Well, how can you kill God? Well, that's the whole point. After three days, he rose again. He gave up the ghost, and then he went to the prison, and he spoke. He preached to the prisoners in the center of the earth, in Abraham's bosom, delivered captivity captive, gave gifts unto men. He ascended to the Father. Uh, the gifts came in Acts chapter 2, of course. But and he ascends to the Father, atones for our sin, comes back and walks on the road to Emmaus, has dinner with the disciples, shows up in the upper room, spends four Forty days teaching these guys on the fiftieth day, the Spirit of God indwells the church. Right, so um, all of that is is true. He was justified in the Spirit, in the Spirit, um, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He was said over and over during his earthly ministry. Point four: scene of angels. The angels saw Jesus's creative work. In Job 38.4, the Lord God asked Job where he was when he laid the foundations of the earth and when the morning stars, which are angels, uh, shouted for joy. Job 38.7. Hey, Job, where were you? And the angels were brought into existence before the worlds were created, and they've seen God in all his glory. Yet they ministered to Jesus during his public ministry as God who created all had condescended to humanity. So you got to think on that a minute. Can you imagine? And I cannot. I don't think our, my mind's able to get there. But I can't imagine what it would be like to be an angelic host in the presence of God, you know, before the fall. You know, and then all the, and then... Fast forward the tape, after all of this, you know, drama is going on on the earth, that Jesus is born of a virgin and, you know, it just, it's, and then he grows to be a man and he's limited and it's, 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 it's hard to really get your head around how humble, you know, so in the dictionary, you, the word humble shows up. It's not just a picture of Steve Fleshman, as we've talked about today. It's a picture of, it's, it's a picture of Jesus. I mean, he is the epitome of humility because uh, he's also the epitome of glory. And so it's a, it's amazing uh, to think about his humility and his willingness to come in our stead and to be like us so he could redeem us from the curse of the law. So Jesus spoke so clearly that he was God, um, that the Jews knew who he was. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. And, uh, and so, the, 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 you know, there's, there's a reason that Paul calls on the saints to pray for kings and all that be in authority. So this is a prayer meeting tonight, and it's all about praying. And we get our, our marching orders in chapter 2 there. And so um, for the angels to look upon us in wonders, Adam's fallen race has been redeemed by the blood of God. 
Uh, they see a wonderful story of redemption and desire to look into it. Uh, for ages of worship and service to God, they know they now see after I'm sorry after ages of worship and service to God, they now see God's redemptive plan for both the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, restoring all that has been lost by Lucifer's fall. And that's why it's so important. God does have a beautiful plan for the church, and it is important that we understand that he is working in and through the church because it is his redemptive plan. He was seen of angels. And you may remember um, the full force of heaven was at Jesus' disposal as he restrained the angels of heaven as he hung upon the cross. Jesus told uh, uh, Peter that legions of angels were at his disposal if he chose to employ them because they were his ministering spirits. So the angels uh, are noted at his birth and his temptation and his crucifixion. They were present at all of those. Matthew twenty six fifty three. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But now, uh, but how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? And so, of course, he withheld his judgment so that he would be judged and become our sacrifice for sin, as we now know. Uh, But he had all that angelic power justified in the spirit and scene of angels. Uh, They were observing what was going on. He had all that at his disposal. And then fifth, he he preached to the Gentiles. So the gospel has gone forth to all the world, and the Gentiles uh, have heard the gospel from Asia Minor to the United States of America. And this is because this man... Uh, was no mortal of history, right? He is God who influences every nation upon the earth and desires we get his gospel to them while there is time. As I preached about, as Mike Pepper preached and illustrated for us last week, this is indeed what God would have us do, is to be not only a church that affects our crooked, perverse nation, but also to be a church that affects all the nations, right? And so our partnerships with other like-minded churches, both in the United States and around the world, is crucial in that, in and everything that we're doing from publishing Bibles to preaching the gospel to going out this next week and helping in Clinton with their outreach. All of that is important. And preaching unto the Gentiles is still being fulfilled through us. Why? Because Jesus Christ and the mystery of godliness. It's, it all goes together. Our power comes from him. Our message comes from him. Everything we do is, is all about Jesus who is God. God manifests in the flesh. Point six, believed on in the world. So the gospel of God has been received by those who believe. Right, he's not. He's not everybody's believed, but some have, and I'm one of them. You're one of them. Romans ten uh, ten. You know the verse: For with the heart of uh, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Paul is working out. In Romans 9 through 11, what God is doing with the the nation of Israel, uh, his the elect nation of Israel, his brethren. But ultimately, um, what he's really looking on is anybody in the world to believe on Jesus. Jew or Greek is of no consequence if they, they need to be a new creature. And that happens through belief in the world that Jesus Christ... Now, this is all hinging on the manifestation that Jesus Christ is God incarnate. It's a big mystery. It's something that's been revealed to us that the Jews don't really believe. They don't believe that to this day. They don't believe that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. I just saw a Jew the other day on, on my uh, you know those little videos 
videos you get on Facebook. Some Jew popped up on there and was talking about one of the evidences that Jesus was not the Messiah was the fact that the Jews killed him. Right? The fact that the Pharisees rejected him and killed him is all the evidence you need that he was not a legitimate Messiah. Right? So and he was. That's why they killed him. So yeah, exactly. Right. Well, that, that Jew would just line right up with all the other Jews that killed, crucified Jesus the first time around. So, anyway, point seven. And then lastly, uh, last point, seventh one, as I promised, he's received up into glory. So Jesus ascending, he ascended and sat at the right hand of the Father, uh, taking his place in the Godhead. So in John seventeen five, the Bible says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before, before the world was. It says was. Before, well, I'm just to be technical. Uh, before the world was, John 17, 5. So before there was a world, I was. Jesus was there. Why? Because Jesus is God. Uh, I and the Father are one, right? So Mark sixteen nineteen. So then, after the world, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Right, and we know that that's where he sits to this day, and so um, that is why we say Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. He was standing in Acts, but he's sitting right back down again, according to Philippians. So he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father till he stands up once again to catch us up in the clouds and take us away. So. That's a lot. So the character of the congregation is what we've been talking about. We are to be fervent in anticipation of the Lord's return, faithful in the operation, certain of God's incarnation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a war for worship, and it's one on our knees as praying men and women. Uh, We pray for kings, for all that are in authority. Uh, Warring women live out chaste lives reflecting the holiness of the bride of Christ. And officers in the church display the integrity of Christ, holding fast to the mysteries uh, that God has revealed to his church. And that concludes chapter 3. You have the seven mysteries. These are the seven attributes of the mystery of godliness. Yeah, yeah. Seven attributes concerning the mystery of godliness, which are listed, right? Uh, it's without controversy. God manifests in the flesh, um, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed in the world, and received up to glory. It's literally pulled right out of the text, so I didn't even have to. Makes it easy. I really, this text, the text written to Timothy, is one of the easiest texts to actually break down and, and see in the Bible because of how uh, just methodical and systematic it is. So I really appreciate Paul doing that for me. All right, so, uh, and the Holy Spirit, of course. Any questions on that? All right, That's even though that's a little, it's still a lot. It's a lot to think about, the mystery of godliness. And uh, God manifests in the flesh. One of the seven mysteries uh, in the New Testament with seven attributes. So, all listed for us. Yeah, Ron? I was just going to say, you cited several verses in the book of John, but that whole, really, that whole book, but first of all, especially, Jesus hammering, hammering, hammering on the point that he is God. Yes. Yeah, you cannot miss Jesus as God in the book of John. And uh, amen to that. So... That's where I, when someone's a, like a Jehovah Witness, that's where I direct them to read if they want to read as John, because that's that's the message. Jesus is God. 
All right, I'm going to turn off this recorder then. If there's no other messages and or questions, I should say, and then we'll get to get to the business of praying. I don't know if I can stop it. How do we 